I invite you now to turn with me to the church's confession as we find it in Lord's Day 6 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 6 in particular, we will look at question and answer 19. Question and answer 19 follows after the catechism's description of our mediator, one who is true and righteous man, and at the same time, true God, who's revealed in scripture as our Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator. And then question and answer 19 asks the following, from where do you know this? From the holy gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise. Later, he had it proclaimed by the patriarchs and the prophets and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. Finally, he had it fulfilled through his only son. So far, the reading of the church's confession this afternoon. After the proclamation of God's word, let us sing in response from hymn 48, stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, for a Christian believer, for a member of the Church of Christ, the Bible plays an important role for every single day of life. Many of us read scripture when we get up in the morning, when we have breakfast. We read scripture again at lunch. We read scripture again at dinner. Many of us hold to the good custom of personal and, and family devotions where we focus on a particular part of the Bible. And for students in the Christian school, there's also Bible class where they learn about specific portions of the Bible. And throughout most of the year, but not through the summer, oftentimes for some unknown reason, God's people get together uh, to engage in various kinds of Bible study groups. And then, of course, we come together every Sunday morning and afternoon at church where a portion of scripture is read and a message is delivered based on the Bible. And so for a believer, the Bible is tightly interwoven with everyday life. That we can easily forget what an amazing book the Bible actually is. For as we confess in Lord's Day 6, question answer 19, the Bible is revelation. It's revelation. It's asked there, from where do you know this, the truth about the mediator? From the holy gospel, which God himself revealed. And so the passages we read this afternoon, as well as this morning, and each Sunday again, is part of God's revelation. And the word revelation means that God discloses to us, he, he shows us, he teaches us certain things which otherwise would have remained completely unknown to us. The kind of knowledge that God has given in the Bible is the knowledge we can only have if God discloses it to us. 
If he says, here, I want you to know this. And no spiritual investigation over 10 or or 20 or 30 years or over a whole lifetime could ever yield anything for us to know about God that the Bible doesn't reveal. No amount of religious study courses in university could, could unfold what the Bible unfolds through revelation. It's only through the Bible that the thoughts and the intentions of God's own mind are, are given to us to know and to search and to discover Now, it is very striking that as one goes through the Lord's days in the catechism, we find that there is no specific Lord's Day devoted to the Bible. If we were to write the catechism today, it would be inconceivable, unimaginable, that we would not have a specific Lord's Day devoted to the doctrine of the Bible because of all Christian doctrines There may be more contention, more controversy surrounding this doctrine, the doctrine of Scripture, than about many others that are out there. For instance, the question asks, what kind of book is the Bible? That's a very big question today. Is it inspired? Is it the infallible word of God? Or or is it partially inspired? Is it fully inspired? Is it inerrant? Those are big questions today. And if, if we were to start writing a catechism today, we would probably start it out with some question and answers about the Bible. Along the lines of the Belgic Confession, which deals with a, a fuller, more extensive discussion about what kind of book the Bible is. Yeah, that's as opposed to the catechism But overall, the treatment that our confessions give towards the Bible is rather brief because the fact that the Bible was a special book was generally assumed by the majority of people in the time that the catechism and the other confessions were written. It was generally assumed by Catholics and Lutherans and Anabaptists and Reformed or or anything else that the Bible was a special book book. Everyone agreed that it had authority even while different groups trusted the Bible's authority in different uh, terms, in different respects. Now what the catechism does give us, though not a special Lord's Day about the Bible, is what we find in question and answer 19. And it's a very beautiful summary of the content of the Bible, the main message of the Bible. And that main message is focused on the person we call the mediator. The catechism is saying that from the beginning of the book of Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation, God is revealing something very special in the Bible. He's revealing who the mediator is, what the mediator came to do, and what meaning his work has for all 
who believe. And so this afternoon, our focus will be on how God has revealed Jesus Christ as our mediator in his unfolding word. That's our theme. And we'll consider two points. First, how this gospel unfolds. And second, what response this gospel demands. First, how this gospel unfolds. Well, as you know, many of you, the Bible is a really amazing book, but it's a, a collection of many books, really. We call it the book, but there are really many different books within it. And within those many books of the Bible, there's a vast number of different individual stories. And nearly, nearly everybody knows some of these stories. For instance, the flood account. Many know about Noah and the ark and the animals. Maybe they've read about it in a children's Bible or watched a movie. Maybe they have heard about David and Goliath. Is there anyone in our culture who has not heard about David and Goliath? Or what about Jonah and the whale? Or what about Daniel in the lion's den or Jesus walking on the water? Now it is possible to know about these stories that I've just mentioned and perhaps many others in addition to them without actually knowing the, the big story. And here in, in Lord's Day 6, question and answer 19, the catechism wants to give us the big story. It's like the catechism is, is zooming out here and, and rising above all the individual trees of the forest and it's giving you a, a bird's eye view of, of the whole of scripture. It wants you to get a picture of the Bible as a whole. And when you think about it, that can be a quite a challenging job, getting to the, the central storyline of the Bible. Because as you know, the Bible is, a, is quite a, a complex book. It can, it can bog you down quite uh, quickly, I would imagine, if you tried to tackle it in a, in a short amount of time. For in the Bible, there are many different characters mentioned who lived in different generations over thousands of years of time. And add to that that the Bible is split up over 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and those 66 books have, have about 40 different authors. And these books were written in about 10 different countries and in three different languages. And it can all be quite overwhelming and bewildering to get a, a good handle on the characters and the cities and the towns and the rivers and empires and kingdoms that, that are not always so easy to, to find back on a map. And then further, it's necessary to mention that the Bible has quite a, a wide variety of different kinds of literature within it. There's poetry, poetry in the, in the Psalms and in the Proverbs. There's history, there's parables, there's prophecy, there's law, there's letters, there's also a, apocalyptic literature like Daniel and Revelation and so on. And so how, brothers and sisters, do you make sense of, of all that complexity and all that diversity? 
you might be tempted to think, is it even possible for me, an ordinary Christian with a, with a job and things to do, and perhaps without university education, uh, besides reading the Bible, is it really possible for, for me to get, the point where I, to get to the point where I could really make sense of it, of the Bible? Maybe you think you have to go to seminary in order to understand the Bible. Maybe you think only pastors can really understand the Bible. There's also the tendency among some in modern times to insist that what you really need to understand the Bible is a sort of code. You need the code. And once you get the code, then you can interpret all the complexities of the Bible and, and, and there's, there's a lot of books out there on the shelves at general Christian bookstores about the topic of how to crack the code, how to solve the puzzle of the Bible. What this does to the Bible then is it, it, makes, it makes it into a big mystery book that is inaccessible to the, to a, to the typical person. And so what is needed then are these detectives who can come to decipher the hidden truth and, and figure it out for us, to, to tell us how to get to the bottom of it. And yet, despite the complexity of the Bible, the Christian church has always taught that the Bible is a perspicuous book. It's a perspicuous book. When you study theology, you're going to find that word, perspicuity. The church has long confessed this truth about the perspicuity of Scripture, which we could roughly paraphrase as the, the clarity of Scripture. And so, yes, the Bible is a big book, and it's a complicated book, and yet there is a fundamental clarity to it. So much so that, that even boys and girls, if they would listen and, uh, and apply themselves when mom or dad are reading the Bible, they can get it. They can get it. They might not get all the details. They might have all kinds of questions, but they can get it. And so boys and girls, if you would devote yourselves to listening attentively, then you can begin to understand this complex book, this beautiful book, because in the midst of it is one story running through it all, a story that unifies the, the rest of the Bible, whether you're reading the Psalms or the Proverbs or the history or the parables or the prophecy or the law or the letters, whatever you read, it's all connected. It's all integrated with the single storyline and the storyline is this to put it simply it's about the one true God working in history to rescue people from sin and judgment to say it in short the Bible is one long complicated and yet unified book about the greatest rescue story of all time well, rescue from what? Well, Lord's Days 2 through 4 tell us. They tell us all about the big mess that we as humans are in because of our sin. And it's a really big mess. The fall 
brought about the problem of sin into this world and all kinds of horrendous consequences and results of sin, such as alienation from God, separation from each other, sickness, suffering, loneliness, grief, boredom, death. All that stuff comes from sin. And so the human race is in, in, in a dire situation, dire straits. And yet in the midst of that mess described in, in Lord's Days 2 through 4, the Bible is revelation about the action of the living and true God to rescue people who are in dire straits. Another way of saying this is to use the language of question and answer 19, which characterizes the Bible as gospel, the holy gospel. We call it the holy gospel because it comes from the holy God. And there is nothing like it in all the earth. You know that the word holy means incomparable, unique, set apart. And the word gospel, of course, means good news. So God revealed the holy good news for us. And you don't need to be a rocket scientist today to, to know that there is a lot of bad news out there in the world. People get weighed down by the bad news. And some try to, to tune it out, but tune out all the bad news by focusing on other things, maybe by trying to, to keep so busy that, that they avoid hearing it. But in the midst of all the bad news, here is the good news in this book right here. From beginning to end, this is good news. The Bible is good news. Well, if you ask the average person out on the street, if you ask them what the, the main content of the Bible is, they'll say, well, they will not say, well, I think the Bible is a message of good news. They'll say, the Bible says you only get to heaven if you are really, really good, and, and I haven't been really, really good, and so I guess I don't go to heaven. That doesn't sound like good news at all. It sounds like very bad news. But that's not the message of the Bible. Most people really have no clue about the basic message of the Bible. They know a few stories and they know of a, a few events, but they don't know the, the message that intersects it all. That it's fundamentally good news that God has given a mediator through whom sinners may be reconciled to him. Sinners like you and I, sinners who are in dire straits, sinners who need help, sinners who find out time and again that they, they cannot break free of, of the captivity to sin on our own, in our own strength, in our own power. For sinners like those, the Bible is the story of God's mediator and redeemer. Now, what does, what does Lord's Day 6, question and answer 19, what it especially brings out is that God's revelation of redemption did not happen all at once, but it's progressive. It's a growing thing. 
it wasn't the case that Adam and Eve fell into sin and then 10 minutes later, God comes to them and gives them the Bible. He says, Adam, you sinned, here you go. Here's the message of redemption in its entirety, in its totality. It didn't work like that. In fact, it took centuries before God's revelation of the mediator was complete. And it took even longer before the, the mediator actually came. Redemption, in other words, has a history. And so too does the revelation of redemption. And so it is progressive in that sense. It's given in an expanding way. And here in Lord's Day 6, question and answer 19, we find some of the highlights of that progression, of that progressive revelation in the Bible. You know, it, you could compare it kind of like to a, a building going up or, or a neighborhood that's expanding like the one that surrounds us here. All these buildings being built up in this neck of the woods in recent years, you could see the progress bit by bit by bit from the foundation to the walls to the big trusses going up on top and then the, the drywallers and, and the others, other finishers come in and eventually the blueprint of the builder comes into reality. Or if you want to change the metaphor, you could say that the Bible is kind of like watching a, a flower come into bloom. If you had one of those time-lapse cameras, you, you could have it trained on, on one of those flowers in your garden. And, and later on, you could take, take many hours of, of footage of filming and you could condense that into a 30-second uh, long clip. And you can see the miraculous event of, of that tiny bud of the flower unfolding progressively and, and becoming this beautiful flower. Maybe you've seen videos like that. And that's kind of like the Bible. In the Bible, God gives to Adam and Eve the, the, the tiny bud of the, of the gospel. And then in the rest of the Bible, that, that bud is slowly unfolding into the flower of our redemption. Answer 19 says that it started in paradise when God revealed the gospel to Adam and Eve in the garden. And the reference there in the catechism in, in footnote number one of this question and answer is, is a footnote to Genesis 3 verse 15. Well, that verse, Genesis 3.15, is a verse that if you hear it referenced and it, and it doesn't immediately conjure up some thoughts in your mind, then I put it to you that, that you are a profoundly uneducated Christian. That's not an insult. That's just the truth of, of, the, of the nature of it. As a Christian, you absolutely need to know what we, what we read there, what Genesis 3 verse 15 is about, if you have any hope of understanding the, the unfolding revelation of the gospel message. And so also then uh, Genesis 3 15 is, is one of the most foundational parts of the revelation of God without which the Bible wouldn't make any sense. It says there after Adam and Eve have, have eaten of the forbidden fruit and the Lord said to the woman, 
what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then the Lord God, speaking to the serpent, says these words, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That's Genesis 3.15. And I hope that none of you here this afternoon will ever forget that verse for the rest of your life. And I really mean for the rest of your life, boys and girls. So that 50 years later from now, you could just pull it up in your minds and you go, there it is. I know what that verse says. I heard it in church in 2017. Well, you don't need to remember when you heard it, but that you heard it and what it's about. Here in Genesis 3.15 is what Bible teachers often refer to as the mother promise. Or as we might say it today, the the mother of all promises. Genesis 3.15 is the mother of all promises because it comes in the context of the fall. The fall into sin has just happened and all those miserable consequences that we talked about earlier with humanity in in dire straits. And there comes God with this astounding promise that some mysterious figure who is described in the language of the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The serpent represents the powers, the forces of evil in this passage. And God is saying in this promise Evil is not going to win. Evil is not going to have the last word in God's creation because God is going to send a figure in the future, some kind of hero who will crush the head of the serpent. Although he will be bruised in the process, yet he will be victorious, but he will be hurt also. And so we have a prophecy here of of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ in in bud form, foreshadowing his suffering, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his victory over the powers of the evil one. It's all there in Genesis 3, 15. We have the gospel in, in a nutshell. And the gospel is unpacked and unfolded throughout the rest of the Bible. And the catechism takes us through the, the next uh, major episodes of the Bible. It talks about how later God had his gospel proclaimed by the patriarchs. The patriarchs, you know, were the fathers of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And when you read the stories of the patriarchs, starting at Genesis 12, going all the way to the end of the book of Genesis, basically, what you find there is good news. And that good news is found in the promise that God gives, that he gives to Abraham and to all his descendants. That he will make a covenant with Abraham and will make him into a great nation with many descendants and all peoples will be blessed through you. It's a promise of blessing for nations who are yet still in their sins and under the curse of God. It's gospel. It's good news, good news of sinners being given a way back to God, 
finding blessing. And then the catechism points to the prophets. And what might come to mind when we think of the prophets might be the books of the Bible starting with, with Isaiah and following. But in the Hebrew Bible, the prophets also included earlier books as well. The books of Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, were all prophecy because it tells us history from a, a prophetic point of view. And then, of course, there were the four major prophets and all the minor prophets leading up to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And when we read the prophets, sometimes it can be a challenge for us to, to see how, how they connect. And so a helpful tool for us to read the prophets is to always keep in mind that what the passage is revealing about the throne of King David. That's a key to understanding the prophetic books. They're about David leading up to his life, giving us the account of his life and his reign and then the reign of his descendants and all that points ahead to the, the greater and lasting kingdom of David's great son that Christ would, would usher in. The king who would transcend all other kings, Jesus Christ, would come to wage war against all evil and, and fight against sin and whatever is under the dominion of Satan. And so the Old Testament builds up the expectation. Uh, piece of scaffolding after piece of scaffolding and the, and the expectation that it builds is not just for a human person who will come, but for God to come. The prophets really make this clear. And in time, in fulfillment of the prophets' predictions, Christ, the Son of God, enters into the world as true God, true man, the perfect mediator. And the New Testament therefore describes him as the word made flesh. All the words spoken about him in, in former days and ages now comes to life in his, in, his perf, in his person and being. The seed of the woman appears, the, the descendant of Eve, the descendant of Abraham, the descendant of David is also God in the flesh. Jesus Christ was the true fulfillment of every part of the Old Testament he also came to fulfill what the books of the law demanded, that living a, a righteous life and offering a perfect sacrifice through his death. And so we see that the whole Bible ties together and is, is centered upon him. Our faith is founded in Christ alone. That's why we are called Christians after Christ the only one who could rescue us from our sin and from, from its consequences and restore what was lost in the very beginning. So what we have heard this afternoon is a, is a broad overview of the Bible's revelation of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But let us now for a moment, a brief moment, consider what response the gospel demands. Having heard all that we've heard this afternoon, having received all that we've received today and, and throughout all our lives in terms of the knowledge of the Bible and of Jesus Christ, it, 
It all begs the question, now what shall we do with it? When God reveals all this to us in scripture, it's never the case that it's just information. Now I don't know the exact customs that you have here, but if it's similar to our region up north, then you might sometimes read in the, in the bulletin a, a short report that comes from a, a meeting of, of council, and you see that, that some letter document was received for information. That's usually council's polite reply to something that it doesn't know how to deal with or they don't want to take the time for it at the time. But, but sometimes it happens that people treat the Bible in the same way, don't they? Yes, here are some stories, some nicer than others, many things written about in here, and we just receive it for information. But the Bible is not revealed for information. It is information. It is information that you could not get anywhere else. It is revelation, disclosure of God's mind. And, and so the, the Bible is always asking for a response. That's why it was written. And many of you, if not all of you, re, in reading the Bible, you've discovered that. You've read the Bible and you've realized that it was trying to get a response out of you. And that should be expected because both the human and divine authors of the Bible wrote what they wrote in order that we would become God worshipers and and Christian believers. And so this grows on you as you read it. It's not a a pleasure novel like something written by John Grisham or Francine Rivers or who have you. But in the Bible, God is, is calling for a response to the mediator that he has presented to us. His word calls us to entrust our lives to the one mediator, Jesus Christ. And so I ask you, are you reading and responding to God's revelation? Or do you just read it for interest's sake or because it's the practice of your family and your household? If it's not a healthy habit in our lives or in our homes, then that is a way in which you are keeping Jesus Christ at, at arm's length. Maybe you're thinking, one day... I will, I will dive into it a little bit deeper one day. Well, we know what the scriptures say to that. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Not tomorrow, because tomorrow he may not be found. We may no longer be near, so we need to take heed of the call of Psalm 95. Today, do not harden your hearts, but open your hearts to that great revelation of the one mediator. And so congregation, what are we waiting for? God has done everything. He has sent the mediator into the world. He has reopened the way to paradise. He has revealed that mediator 
to us. He has shown us the way to find fellowship with him forever. What remains for you and I is to embrace that mediator as we repent and believe in him. Amen.